And now it's time for Nostalgia Town, where we speak with well-known older Australians about the journey they took that makes them the person they are today. You're listening to Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century with me, Lex Marinos, and... And I'm Patricia Amphlett. And, Patty, we have a fabulous guest taking us through Nostalgia Town today. It's Kate McClymont, a journalist on the Sydney Morning Herald. She's been one of Australia's top investigative reporters since the early 1990s. Her specialty is in uncovering corruption, cronyism and nepotism in union, sporting and political circles. She exposed the salary cap scandal at the Canterbury Bulldogs Rugby League Club. Other revelations led to a five-year jail term for former Labor MP Eddie Obede. National AOP President Michael Williamson was forced off the party's national executive after Kate's investigation into the Health Services Union's East Branch. Colleagues admire her fearlessness in the face of threats to her safety and her ability to pry information from reluctant sources. Kate so far has won five Walkley Awards and also has been awarded an AM for her services to journalism. Kate, thanks for joining us today. It's a great pleasure and honour to talk to you. Look, thank you so much, Lex. And it's actually nine Walkleys. <laughs> nine Walkleys. Oh, I'm going to have to do some investigation into how this arose. Don't want to undersell. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a mere nine Walkleys now. Um, by the end of this interview, it'll probably be up to 10 or 11, I would imagine. Kate, the thing that intrigues me, and I have to say, at what point does your investigative journalism become when you have to balance up exposing corruption to exposing your family to threats, when does it become reckless? Oh, dear. I'm I'm glad my children aren't here listening to this interview (laughs) because, um, you know what, it's funny. As you get older, it's far more liberating when your children are themselves young adults. But um, when they were little... um, I used to make them come along with me <laughs> to, <laughs> to do stakeouts. I remember once um, there was a big mafia meeting happening at um, a restaurant and I made my children and my reluctant sister-in-law and her children to come along. I said, don't worry, they'll never suspect families <laughs> having pizza. And I got one of my young children. I said, you go over there, you take photos of them. They won't suspect oh, you. Oh, no. <laughs> Does Docs know, know about this? A family that does stakeouts together, you know, sticks together. That's right. There was a couple of times when I had death threats um, either delivered to my house or on one occasion I had the police call and say, look, there's been a credible threat and you need to get your family out of the house. And I remember going to the Herald and saying, um, oh, God, look, this terrible thing's happened. You know, we've got to move out of the house. And I said, "Um, you know, look, can we go to the local um, Medina apartments? And they said, no, too expensive. And I said, oh, okay, well, what about you know, some other place? No, not in the budget. <laughs> so the, the Herald ended up putting us in this terrible um, a city apartment next to the cinemas in George Street, and I lasted one night and I thought, you know what, I'd actually rather die. So... I think then they just got um, security to stand outside our house. But it, mm. it does, uh, I always think back, no, not in the budget. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. It's been an amazing career, Kate. What led you to journalism in the first place? Look, like a lot of things in life, completely by accident. 
So um, at university, I was studying arts law, and then I did an honours degree in the great love of my life, which is English literature. And I thought I'd just take a break from the law, and I got a job in a publishing company. And it was completely dire because we were doing an encyclopedia of Australia and New Zealand. And I think in the 18 months that I was there, we got as far as C. So I typed my name into the Nobel Prize winners and quit. But sadly, <laughs> they did have some editors who picked up the Kate Climate was not a Nobel Prize winner. Not yet. Um, and look, it was funnily, you know, I was at a party and I was chatting to somebody I just met who said, oh, I've just got a cadetship at the Sydney Morning Herald. And it was like a light bulb going going off and I thought, you know what, that's actually what I would like to do. So the following year, you know, I rang her up and I got tips about, um, you know, how to go about it, what they were looking for, et cetera. But the strange thing was, was that I think the only reason I got the job was that the people interviewing me were most interested in the fact that I had a busking booth. Yes. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and the busking booth was questions answered 40 cents, arguments 50 cents, and verbal abuse a dollar. <laughs> and I used to make about $17 an hour, which, you know, this is 40 years ago, and that was, you know, really quite good money. So I think that they thought, well, if you can do that, because I don't have any other talents, unlike you, I have no artistic talent at all, but, um, you know, I can talk. So it wasn't my honours degree, it wasn't, and I'd also been working in community radio and I'd been doing um, work at local newspapers. It wasn't those things. It, I think it was my busking booth. Kate, before we go back and get nostalgic about the early days, just one final thing on on your brand of journalism. Do you? How do you find a story? Did have you got a, a sixth sense that that you think there's something fishy here? There's something. There's something worth digging a bit deeper. Did the stories? How how do you? How do your does your antennae work? Think it like a lot of people. It's it's really the, the sniff test or the pub test, but it's funny how stories come to you. You know, I've got you know fantastic stories out walking the dog, where I've just got talking to somebody. Or um, one of my favourite stories. I know you mentioned earlier about Michael Williamson, the head of the health services union, who ended up going to jail for five years as well. So how I got onto that story was a member of the public rang up and said, you should look at this person, Michael Williamson. And I said, look, forgive my ignorance, but who who's he? And they said, well, he's actually the head of the health services union and he's the national president of the ALP. And I said, yes. And he said, well, we're parents at the same school and as a union official, he and his wife have got five children at private schools. I'm Ooh. doing the maths here thinking, oh, gee, five children at private schools. He and his wife, who didn't work, were driving top of the range Mercedes Benzes. But what really got my informant on the phone was that the Williamsons constantly outbid all the other parents at the school charity auctions. Uh. So, <laughs> so to him... That was the, the the clinch. And so that's 
you know, I thought, well, I mean, and that is as good a reason as any to have a look at somebody. So, and it literally took about half an hour to, you know, do the necessary company searches. And I found that uh, he had, um, he was a director of a company which was being paid $1 million a year just to provide IT services to the union and it just spread from there. So, you know, it, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, an earth-shattering you know, amount of documents arrive or anything like that. It, it just can be something as simple as someone outbidding everyone else at the school charity auction. Oh, wow. Kate, before you started your investigative ju- journalism, who came before you? I can't remember who, who did the sort of job you did? Oh, look, there's so many fabulous people. Um, Marion Wilkinson, Colleen Ryan, Wendy Bacon, uh, Brian Tui, the, you know, the fabulous people at the now defunct National Times. David Hickey, oh, they were um, they were fantastic and I used to love working with them. And, and funnily enough, I think I've got a job, I've got a cadetship at the Herald and then I went for two years to work at Four Corners as a researcher. And the week I arrived was the week that Chris Masters' Moonlight State went to air. So we're talking about, you know, 1987, I think it was. And it was just one of those um, those seminal moments where I saw how clearly that long-form investigative journalism could really change things. So I worked with Paul Barry on stories on Alan Bond and also on um, on Blue Asbestos. And I think just being exposed to working with those people was, I, I think for me, the just opening a door into what could be something really, really worthwhile. And then I came back to the Herald in 1990, and I've been here ever since. Kate, let's let's go back a bit. And so, where did you grow up? What was your what was your family background? I grew up on a farm outside of Orange in rural New South Wales, and my uh, my father had trained as a vet, and my mother was a pharmacist at the local hospital, and it was one of those households where. Um, my parents always encouraged us to have an education, and especially for women. I remember my father saying, you must always be able to, you know, support yourself, you know, have a job. Don't ever depend on somebody else to be paying for you. But it's interesting, you know, you look back now and I think, um, you know, living out of town, we had to get the bus home every afternoon. You could not miss the school bus. So my life fairly much revolved around the farm and doing chores and things like that. I couldn't, um, you know, hang around with friends in the local milk parlour or any of those. And, you know, being introduced to, you know, cultural phenomenon was really from my Sydney cousins coming to stay. They were the ones that that brought um, you know, Neil Young records and, um, you know, and Bob Dylan and things like that. So we only had two television stations growing up. We had the ABC and we had the local CBN8. So it was rest- not restrictive, but, um, you know, I used to envy 
um, you know, my cousins who had four stations to choose from in Sydney. So, you know, we didn't get to go mm. to concerts or see, you know, fabulous plays mm. or anything like that. That all came, I think, when I went to university. And when you left Orange, how old were you? I went to university um, at 18. And, and look, my, uh, members of my family still live in Orange. So, you know, I still have a tie there. And I have, you know, really, you know, I had a great childhood. And it was one of those things where it was reading books that was the most important cultural events in our lives. Like you'd catch the bus in the morning and you'd read your book on the way into school or, um, you know, visits to the library were the highlight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mm. this is sounding like a very sad and depressing life that the visit to the local library was considered an absolute treat, but it was. Yes, and not at all. And, and you know, having come from a regional background myself, I, I must admit when my family moved to the city, I found it really difficult. I found it intimidating. It was big. It was noisy. It was... It was difficult. I found it really difficult to adjust. Did you have... Where did you move from? From Wagga Wagga. Oh, right. And how old were you? Oh, I was in I was in uh, my early teens when the family moved, and, and I hated it, I have to say. It took me a long while to, to adjust to city life uh, completely, and I just mm-hmm. wanted to go back to the country. I can understand that. Did you have similar experiences, Kate? Not really, because... I think it was the excitement of going to university and um, I was at Women's College at Sydney Uni, so meeting all these people from, you know, other parts of the country and from Sydney, I think it was kind of exciting. But I don't know whether it would have been um, much harder if I'd moved into a flat not knowing people I think that would have been really hard, but I look back on my university days as some of the happiest of my life. And funnily enough, it's friends I met at uni that I am still really good friends with after all these years. And, you know, we're now, you know, talking at least 40 years ago. Mm. So, yes, I think that that was probably, um, you know, a a, a seminal experience in Mm. my life. Did you discover, apart from busking, that's a wonderful cultural experience in itself. But um, with that large amount of pocket money, did you start enjoying theatre or going to see plays, yes. music when you were in Sydney? Oh, absolutely. Um, I had subscriptions to the the Nimrod. Um, you know, you'd go and see concerts. It was uh, and, great fun. You know, oh, great fun. And, you know, I still love going to the theatre. It was I don't know, you just sort of thought, I can't believe I'm sitting here and these people are only, especially that the Nimrod was so small. Mm. It was fantastic. Yes, I remember it well. Very intimate, they're great nights out and they're the ones you remember and have such an impact on you. You've mentioned your social connections or the connections you still have with people you went to uni with and how, well, they sound very, very precious. And it sounds like our show, we say get connected and stay connected. It's it's really good. Do they provide some of the fun in your life now or, or your oh, family? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the good things about COVID was you realise the importance of both family and friendship. And one of the things that got me through, I know that you are going to roll your eyes, but I am a complete bridge fanatic. 
and the mm-hmm. discovery that you could play bridge online. So we would play online and we'd have our phones on FaceTime. So we would chat and play bridge. And it was just something that you could do without wow. leaving the house. And it was just fun. Mm-hmm. So um, I think just staying connected is so important. Like even just ringing people up and saying, let's um, let's go for a walk in the park and have a coffee or let's, um, I, I seem to be members of, um, you know, a book club, a share club, I play bridge. Um, <laughs> so I'm in a cooking club. So <laughs> I do, um, my children all roll their eyes at, um, but I, I, I love other people and I, I really appreciate friendships. <laughs> it's it's something that, um, you know, it makes you alive and they're often very good sources of information. <laughs> Kate, would you, would you mind reflecting on, on the current state of journalism, particularly independent journalism? We've seen the advent of, of social media, which has been such an avalanche of, of in a way, democratic uh, news gathering, but also fake news, so-called, has taken over. How do, how do, how do we get to the facts? How do we find out what is actually going on these days? Look, I think you still have to put your trust in many ways in in a mainstream media. And that's not in any way to disparage um, other, uh, you know, groups of media. But the thing is, we are bound by codes of ethics. And we also have to take into consideration, you know, the defamation threats. When you read something in the paper, usually there's been a lot of work done in order to get that to you. And I just, I I feel sorry for freelancers because, you know, I just could not do the stories that I do as a freelancer. I would have lost my house a long time ago in defamation actions. So I just think it's, it's, it's troubling that so many people get their news from Facebook And by doing that, you're choosing only the kind of news that you want to hear. You know, in the old days, you had to read papers or listen to radio bulletins. That's what you got. And you got a whole offering of things. Whereas I think choosing the kind of things that you want to hear is just, it's not good. You have to keep an open mind to things. And there are going to be things on news or in the paper that you don't agree with but you should at least listen to them and try to take them in and think about what people are saying and why they're saying it. It's good to to hear you speak. Just about books, getting back to your book reading, do you stay away from goodies and baddies books that are written by other people or are you happy to read other investigative uh, reading matters? Oh, no, I love to read um, Uh. other investigative journalists. And, in fact, I'm reading a very good book now by um, uh, an American journalist and it's called Empire of Pain and it's about the Sackler family and the opioid crisis. But, um, Uh. oh, no, I think, um, you know, there's so many interesting things out there to read. It's just not enough hours in the day. Mm. Do you do you confine do you confine yourself to nonfiction or do you read fiction as well? Yes. So one of the books that um, has been really enjoyable lately is Anthony Dawes' Cloud Cuckoo Land. I know it's about six hundred pages, and it does cover from being on a spaceship to um, you know Constantinople in the years just 
post um, the death of Jesus Christ. It does cover a lot, but wow. he's such a good writer. What are you working on now, Kate? Just after I finish this, I'm just going to meet somebody who has some certain information for me, <laughs> oh, just about a political matter that I'm hoping will be very worthwhile. Do, do you find that happens now <laughs> that that people seek you out because of your reputation, that they that that stories drop into your lap? Uh, yes. And look, I'm, I'm very lucky that way that um, once people do know your name and also I just think it's important to, you know, behave ethically and deal ethically with people so that people actually do trust you. They know that, um, you know, if you give your word that certain information will stay confidential, you'll keep it. So I just think that, um, you know, that's been a steadfast um key thing in my career and I think it served me well and should serve other journalists well is to you know always behave ethically I know our our reputation is not great but we should do our best yours is fantastic Mm. Kate thank you so much for your time today for talking to us and being a a part of baby boomers guide and uh, all I can say is don't forget to write (laughs) Well, thank you so much. It's so lovely to speak to you both. Thanks, Kate. Terrific. Many thanks. Pleasure. 